Welcome to the Courage Rising Podcast. I am Genevieve, and I am dedicated to shining a light on women's stories of empowering themselves through struggle, hardship, and pain, and creating beautiful lives of purpose, passion, and love, showing us what it means to truly thrive after trauma. Each week, I release a new interview with women showing great courage in sharing their stories. To connect with the Courage Rising community on an even deeper level, join the free Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Courage Rising podcast. Thank you for joining us where stories change lives. Thank you everyone for tuning in to the Courage Rising podcast, the first episode with me, your host, Genevieve NB. Today, I am going to start this podcast by sharing my story, well, parts of my story at least. So this podcast is meant to be a showcase of women's stories of empowerment and overcoming the struggle, the hardship, the trauma that they've experienced in their lives. And to talk about where they are now and how they've gotten to a place that is thriving to them, right? Which looks different for each and every person. But it's incredibly inspiring, especially to those who are still stuck at rock bottom, those who are still experiencing extreme hardship. It's really inspiring for them to be able to see someone else that maybe has experienced the same thing they have or something similar and to know what's possible for them afterwards. I'm incredibly, incredibly dedicated and just so passionate about bringing these stories forward because in my own life, they've been necessary. They've been an integral part of my own journey. And so I'm going to start off by sharing mine in this episode. And then every week will be a new interview with a new, incredibly brave and courageous woman. So me. (laughs) I am going to start off uh, with talking about what my life looks like now. Uh, so I am just now getting to a point in my life that feels like thriving and actually for the year 2020, my word, I always choose a word every year on the, um, Sagittarius new moon in December, I always choose a word for the year and you know, one year it was authenticity, one year it was enlightenment, one year was, last year was integrity, and this year was thrive. And so this has been a focus of me, of mine for, for this year. And um, I'm finally now getting to a place where I feel like I understand what thriving even feels like, right? And it's not it's not the external, it's not, although the external does start to reflect the internal, but it's really a state of being within me, for me at least, and I think for most people. It's a state of being of having this really solid grasp of my inner knowing, being able to make decisions for myself that feel good, 
um, feeling empowered and free enough to make my own decisions in my life. And being in a space where I have been able to calm my nervous system and soothe and even though bad things may still be happening and things have happened recently, I'm able to handle it with a lot of grace, a lot of self-love and a lot of grace. So that to me right now is what thriving feels like. And I've restarted my business, which I'd put on hold for several months while I was going through some personal things. Um, but I've restarted it again. I have mentorship support. It feels like I have support in the external world. I have support from the universe and I have radical love and trust for myself is what thriving feels like to me. So I'm going to start off with talking about where I came from a little bit. <laughs> so this, this is where I've done already um, five of the interviews that you'll be be uh, listening over the next several weeks listening to and um, this is where we start is childhood of course right because that's where we start and often this is where a lot of the struggle and trauma begins so for me I have quite a unique story uh, which I always forget that this is something that people don't know about and that I don't really talk about so I talked about it on my Facebook page for the first time a couple weeks ago, but I'm sharing it with you now. So I was actually born into a religious cult. It is called, or was called, the Unification Church. There are some offshoots of it that now still exist, but the primary um, religion was a following of this Korean man, Sun Myung Moon. That was his chosen name. I don't remember his born, the, the name he was born with. Uh, and he, the story is really actually quite fascinating to dig into, but I'm just going to give you a really brief synopsis. This man, Sun Myung Moon, was um, imprisoned in North Korea in one of the camps, like slavery camps, during the Korean War. And Somehow he escaped. There's a long story to it, but basically he escaped back into South Korea, which was pretty unheard of at the time. And he uh, uses that story as well as um, he has some spiritual experiences where he is told, he says he is told that he is the second coming of the Messiah, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So he builds a following, and there are these pictures, I remember we used to look at when I was a kid, um, of him like starting the church out in these like slum huts, just like cardboard and um, sheet metal, leaned up against a hill uh, with like 10 people to this massive following. He had a worldwide following. Uh, and I don't, like, the numbers are all over the place for how many followers he had because people don't believe some of the numbers. But, um, I mean, we knew people in Europe. We knew people across the country in the U.S. And, um, yeah, there's was just, it was a huge following. Um, he, uh, the church founded 
think it's the Washington Times or the Washington Post, one of those, and had a membership on like in the United Nations and was really, really embedded within the political systems within the U.S. especially, as well as in Europe and the United Nations and um, really, really fascinating and owned like billions and billions of dollars in assets. If you look up, if you were to Google search the Unification Church or Sun Myung Moon or the Moonies, which they were also called, you would see pictures of him and his wife wearing these gold crowns and these gold robes and these mass wedding ceremonies that they would have in uh, Madison Square Garden in New York and as well as in DC where I think the largest one they did 200,000 couples uh, that they matched and married. So one of their signature things was that they would match couples. So this is what happened to my parents. My mother's from France, my father's from the US, and they were matched, meaning they had never met before they were matched to be married. And literally it was this guy just kind of pointing people out in a room. <laughs> Um, and one of the commitments was cross-country marriages um, to s expand his following throughout the world. So that's how, you know, my mother being French ended up with my father being an American. Her sister um, ended up with an American husband and her other sister ended up with a Japanese husband. Um, and, you know, just like, just cross-cultural which was actually, you know, um, one of the things I really value about my experience there was I was exposed to many different cultures at a very, very young age from birth. <laughs> uh, my middle name, Nan, N-A-N, is Korean. And, um, and in Connecticut, I was born and raised in Connecticut in the U.S., there was a really large Japanese following in the church in Connecticut. And so that's um, mostly who I was around um, growing up. So, um, my own experience, like, in the church wasn't that extreme. If you were born into the church to a matched couple, then you were kind of assumed that you were, like, these, like, chosen children, the true children or whatever they call it. Um, they had a... <laughs> They had a third testament to the Bible, so it was the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the True Testament was the third one that they added. Um, and then it was the true parents, and then the true children were the children born into the church. So I actually had a lot of time to just kind of play, and I remember we would be in the, we'd be going to church in these kind of rough areas, and the kids would just kind of be allowed to go out and play outside and just explore while the adults were in the sermons and whatnot. So. I mean, not safe, but, you know, I wasn't really brainwashed as much, I would say. But the church itself was very, very, um, was very corrupt in many ways. Um, there was a lot of financial corruption. So if you joined, you basically had to give up everything you owned in order to become a member. You, you would have to give up everything you owned. You'd have to give up, you know, I hear stories of, like, people giving up um, their homes, their bank accounts, everything they own down to like their favorite guitar, right? Like there's all of these stories of people who had to do this and ended up going out and becoming missionaries. And 
living in buses or in hotel rooms with many people sharing one hotel room and working extreme hours with barely any sleep seven days a week um, and just spending their entire lives just fundraising money by selling flowers and selling whatever it is they were selling on like the corner and stuff like on the street. Um, and it was all just to fundraise for the church and to, um, they had all this terminology that I don't remember, but basically trying to convert all these people to the church. And so convincing people to drink holy water and all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, it was a very like radical right church. So other in some ways, right? So I think the cross-cultural unification there were some principles that were, were actually like kind of great, like in the beginning, I'm sure, but it just turned corrupt. But there was this radical right, like no sex before marriage, complete abstinence, and you had to be matched to be married. Um, although later they made that more flexible and they allowed people to come in in pre-existing marriages and just get a blessing. Things became less and less extreme over time um, until he died a couple of years ago. But yeah, it was quite, um, quite sexist, right? So the man was the, um, sort of authoritative role in the family. Um, the, um, <laughs> the leader, Sun Myung Moon, preached about absence before marriage and all of this conservative stuff. Um, however, he had multiple children out of wedlock and... <laughs> Um, was known to be sleeping around with really young women. So this is what happens, right, in these extreme um, cultures where, uh, where sexuality is oppressed or repressed, then it comes out in these really insidious ways, right? Talk about like shadow work, right? Uh, so whatever's pushed into the shadows comes out in really perverse ways. And so that's what happened in the church, right? I mean, there, when I was a kid, right, like there was just all of these um, undertones of perverse sexuality, um, things like child pornography, uh, actual sexual abuse. And, um, you know, the leader himself was 40 when he married his wife, who was still a minor. So there was a lot of perversity, a lot of corruption, a lot of just really, um, not great <laughs> to say the least. Um, energy, vibrations, um, vibe, however you want to call it, that infiltrated uh, my entire childhood up until I was 13 years old. So that's a little bit about the church that I know. So this is my perspective from what I know and what I experienced. There's so much more, I'm sure, and now there's offshoots of because the leader died, but one of his sons has created an offshoot that's obsessed with like AR-15s, and then his wife has created an offshoot and says part of her role is to have sex with all these like minor men or young men or something. I don't know. So there's some crazy shit there, but it's definitely not as popular as it used to be at all. Um, it's definitely died down in popularity, but there was a time where there were 200,000 couples, um, getting matched and married and blessed at one time with him standing at the head with a crown on. So there's that. Um, 
<laughs> so I grew up with a major theme of repression. Um, repression of my sexuality, repression of desire, repression of, um, of a lot. And I soaked up a lot of gender bias and distaste towards women that I didn't even know about when I was growing up. Um, even being a woman, right? I, um, valued men a lot more and I grew up in this very like patriarchal upbringing. So it's been a lifetime of unlearning all of that. Um, and, uh, yeah. So the way that that's played out for me has been, I've been, um, sort of a career workaholic, which is where I was finding my worth. And that's how I ended up going to an Ivy league law school, graduating and getting licensed as an attorney in Connecticut. Um, and worked there for four, well, five years as a lawyer, four years in a government job. Um, and at the same time, I had, um, very unhealthy relationships most of my life. Um, I had very unhealthy, um, I, I wasn't great at friendship. I was incredibly insecure um, had a lot of self-worth issues, was really stuck in judgment and comparison, um, and was deep, deeply codependent, um, deeply codependent with my family, with my friends, especially with my romantic relationships. So because of these like sexual, and I would also say violent undertones that I grew up in during my childhood, um, I ended up attracting that a lot in my romantic relationships. Um, I have, I, I was in romantic relationships just constantly. I was a serial monogamist. I'm currently on a celibacy, uh, pact with myself. Um, but I, yeah, I was in a relationship after relationship after relationship. And, um, often the men would have these underlying violent uh, or sexually perverse undertones. Also often men who had been through some sort of trauma in their childhood. Um, and I just, you know, would fall so hard for them. I just love the crap out of them, could see their heart, could see their wounding. And then we would clash really horribly and, um, you know, be triggering each other and our wounding. So it got to the point where, um, one of my relationships was incredibly manipulative and, um, emotionally abusive, uh, with lots of lying, lots of manipulation and lots of sort of like, um, just a, this like manipulative, insidious, interrogating and setting me up and, you know, setting up a situation for me to be in and then pretending like they had, they didn't know anything about it and then interrogating me about it very subtly afterwards and playing mind games and whatnot. Um, and so there was a lot, you know, that I'm not going to share, but, um, it, I, I reached a very severe rock bottom in my life through that experience. And at the same time, it was like all my self-worth, uh, 
all of my beliefs of like low self-worth came to the surface and it was like I was meeting like in this relationship I was meeting my deepest shadows in person a reflection of them in person but these when we've been traumatized in a certain way it stays with us right it stays with us in our bodies and we have to do a lot of work to unlearn what we've learned sort of the patterns and neural pathways that have been created um, when something negative happens that surprises us and is significant it can more easily create a new neural pathway which is why sometimes someone will experience just like a single event of trauma and then we'll get triggered by it over and over again because one negative event right can create a, a quick neural pathway because it shocks us right but we could then put ourselves in that situation and have a positive event but because it hasn't shocked us it's not enough to reverse the neural pathway or to shift it so we need repetition we need repetition of the positive we need repetition of the everything's okay in order to shift it because there's no shock value there that kind of creates that fast um, pathway connection um, or there are trauma therapies out there that do sort of use other techniques to kind of like shift the neural pathway quickly with like body movements or like the eye, eye movement desensitization like those sorts of things where you're doing something specific that helps to create that neural pathway um, but otherwise yeah it takes a lot of repetition of positive experience in order to do that so uh, that was something that took me a long time to get over not even to get over but just to be able to unlearn the trauma that was stored in my body the other piece that happened more recently for me you know I've been unlearning how to be in relationship and unlearning how to be in friendship and sort of uh, just rewiring everything that has to do with relating with people and with relating with myself and because I've been in this gorgeous place of safety and soothing healing calming I've been living with my mother um, for the last year and it's just been this sacred space of taking care of myself um, and I've been just so incredibly grateful and privileged to be able to do that right and just with little jobs here and there but um, not having to work full-time and just being able to dedicate a lot of time to my healing has been um, just I don't even know what words to use it's I'm just so incredibly grateful for it um, so when because I was in this space I have had a lot from my past come up and a lot of my life experiences come up sort of for review and for shifting and for bringing myself back into wholeness and reintegration right because I really believe every time we go through something and we haven't fully resolved the trauma we haven't fully resolved the um, originating event or incident then um, our subconscious wants to resolve it and so we'll just continuously bring ourselves into those situations subconsciously um, it's fascinating so fascinating the way the brain works right so it's not even like it's like out of your control it's just you could see two people in front of you for example you could be considering two people to date romantically you could see these two people in front of you and when you're still feeling um, 
this like inner fragmentation and you're trying to heal this part of you, you will find the guy who is also fragmented in that same way and can trigger you, those wounds, you will find him more attractive. So not only does the universe bring him to you, but you actually will choose them. Your actions actually change, which means it is in your power, which is very empowering to me because I know it's not just like, oh, I'm just going to end up in these situations constantly and it's completely out of my control. It actually is in my control. It's just that I need to have the awareness of it. So like this year on my during my celibacy journey, I've met a couple of men and noticed old patterns come up and just been like, and had the awareness to say no, right? And to recognize, ooh, that pattern's still showing up. There's still more for me to, to work through there. So that's been a really beautiful, just like mirror for me. Um, so yeah, with all of this beautiful time and space, I... Um, was excavating deep shadows. I had been doing shadow, deep shadow work for almost three years now. Uh, but I was able to get to really, really deep roots. It was like layers and layers and layers. And I know there will be layers forever, but I was able to uncover one of the originating roots that I didn't have awareness of. So what happened was that um, one of the things I've been suffering from my entire life is a debilitating anxiety and fear. Um, so this is something I'm going to talk about because I think this is really, um, this needs to be talked about more as well. And people don't believe me when I say this because I'm here on video talking, right? I do Facebook live streams all the time. Um, people don't believe me, but for my whole life, starting the first time I remember this happening was in second grade. And this happened throughout um, until three years ago. One part of it is until three years ago. The other part of it is until two months ago. So um, the first part of it was that um, whenever I had to get up in front of people or if I was in a meeting or if I had a job interview, in second grade, it was a book report, or a, a, not book report, it was a report, a little page I wrote up on lions. I actually just remember that now it was about lions, which is so cool, because I have a program coming up called Lioness. Anyways, pieces coming together, so cool. So I did this um, report on lions, and I had to get up in front of the class. And whether it was that time, whether it was any time I had a job interview, literally any time I had a job interview, any time I had to speak in front of a meeting at my workplace, um, anytime I was in school and I got called on by the professor, um, I would have this uh, anxiety response in my body that I could not control. So what would happen is that my chest would turn bright red and splotchy. Um, my eyes would do two things. They would start just uncontrollably tearing up. So I wasn't crying at all. It was just literally like tearing, like tears streaming down my face and they would close and flutter. I couldn't keep them open. It would be like, I don't know if you've ever experienced like bright lights um, right after coming from outside or whatever, you know, like when you're shocked with bright lights and you're like, oh my God, I can't even keep my eyes open. That would happen the entire time. So I couldn't even open my eyes and my ears 
would roar like this roaring sound turns on in my ears like a grinding or something so I literally could not hear and I could not see and I looked like a hot freaking mess <laughs> like a total hot mess like I literally looked like I was having some sort of which I mean I was right I was having some sort of attack um, I don't know what you know I've I've asked therapists and doctors about it and no one had heard of that happening <laughs> it's not like a known condition but i'm sure there's other people that have experienced this right or maybe i'm the only one but i very much doubt that or maybe you've experienced something similar literally my entire life like i i cannot even explain to you just how hard that has been for that to happen when i would go to job interviews when i needed like when I really, really wanted a job, right? Like job searching was very hard for me for a very long time. Um, anytime like in a work meeting, I'd have to speak up, like I'd have to talk, you know, in front of a group of people. Um, honestly, like it would happen, it would happen so much. The only time it would not happen was um, in high school, I did uh, theater. And I was able to get up on the stage and not have it happen because I was pretending to be someone else, I think. One thing that later helped me a little bit was I got glasses. And if I wore the glasses, it was like that movie <laughs> with a little kid who wears glasses and pretends that nobody can see him. <laughs> I would do that. And it literally does like create this distance for me. That helps. Um, one of the huge triggers was if I went into an office for a job interview in their windows the blinds were open and it was bright. Um, so what I ended up doing was I would ask them if they're okay with just kind of like shutting the blinds. I did that a couple of times because that would help. Uh, but it was, it was really awful because it wasn't just an internal response, right? This was an external response that everyone could see and I couldn't hear. So if they were saying something to me during this happening, I wouldn't be able to hear it. So it would happen, it would flare up, and then it would slowly come down so the ears would stop, but I'd still be like tearing up. So people are like, is she crying? Is she like, what's happening? And, and it's awkward. People don't know what to say. So uh, people usually don't ask anything. They just kind of look at me and then they look at their notes and like, are you okay? And then we work through it and then we continue on, but then it gives off a weird first impression especially if you're trying to be like a lawyer or, right? Like something where you have to be really bold and assertive and confident. So that was, um, that happened to me throughout my life until about three years ago. And that was when I started my journey of emotional healing and shadow work. And the, the, there were several things that really helped to heal that. One of them was just being okay with it and loving it. It was the moment I no longer wanted to change it was the moment that it shifted, really. It was the moment where I was like, you know what? This is just what my body does because it's trying to save me. So I'm just going to be grateful to it. And so I would go in and I would embrace the anxiety. I had literally taken Benadryl before job interviews to try and suppress this from happening. But instead, I said, you know what, I'm just going to embrace it. So I would sit in the waiting room for the interview and I would feel the anxiety coming on. And instead of trying to push it down, I'd just be like, okay, full-blown anxiety. Let's feel it. I get it. You're just telling me this is important and scary. 
and doing that really helped me to shift that. Um, the other thing I struggled with my whole life, which is also a little crazy, um, which this was just like, these are just like who I am, which I never realized. I've, when I share them with people, I realize, oh, right, this doesn't happen to everyone. Like somebody might actually get something from me sharing this. So the other thing that happened to me my whole life up until a couple months ago, it got better the last three years, but it was still happening, was that at nighttime, after it was dark, and I went to bed in my bedroom, wherever I was living, um, if I woke up in the middle of the night because I had to pee, um, or just because something woke me up, or a sound or something, I would have such debilitating panic that I wouldn't be able to get out of bed. I wouldn't be able to move. I would be paralyzed in fear under the covers. Like the only thing I would do is I would put the blanket over my face very slowly and then I would just be debilitating panic, just completely frozen and heart racing through the roof. And I would stay like that for a long period of time until I finally got so tired from it that I would fall back asleep. But uh, this happened to me my whole life, right? Like as a kid, I remember this happening and me imagining like wolves coming up the stairs or robbers trying to break into the windows. Um, as an adult, if this, the, the other thing I couldn't do is like I couldn't look at windows or mirrors after dark. I mean, I just had all of this debilitating anxiety and paranoia. I was just terrified I'd see like a face there, like something would come up and scare me. Um, and then when I was asleep in bed and I would wake up and put the covers over, I was just convinced like somebody was coming into my room to kill me. Just all the time convinced, all the time, all the time, all the time. And a couple times, you know, like if I really had to pee bad enough, then I would get up and I'd go to the bathroom. But the whole time I would have my heart just racing through my chest. I'd be like turning on all the lights I could everywhere. And I would be like constantly turning my head, like wondering like, what's that? What's that? Who's there? The entire time in my own home, right? In a safe place. Um, so this flared up really badly a couple of months ago. And, um, and then I had some dreams, some very extreme dreams, and I realized it was leading me somewhere. And for the last year, I knew that there was, um, uh, like repressed, there was a repressed memory that had wanted to come to the surface. And I had just convinced myself that I didn't need to remember it, that I would be fine without remembering it, that I didn't need to know, which, you know, I, f I find you know, I found out to be not true because it was still really haunting me. So all I did was I took um, an evening and created the most radically sacred space for myself and I allowed myself to unlock the memory, which didn't even take a lot of work. It just was literally a surrendering to remembering it. And it was completely different than what I had imagined it would be. Um, totally different from anything I imagined it would be, but it was an instance of physical and sexual assault when I was very young, um, probably around four years old. And so 
Um, unlocking that was incredibly painful in the moment of remembering it. I allowed myself to stay in that space for hours, hours of feeling the emotions that were locked there. I've never experienced such big emotions in my entire life. I mean, I was wailing and screaming and crying, just huge, huge, huge emotions. Um, and I just stayed with it for hours, hours. I ended up curled up on the bathroom floor by the toilet, just literally feeling it, just feeling it. And every time I wanted to go away from feeling it, came back to feeling it, just feeling it, feeling it, feeling it, and feeling it over and over and over again, allowing myself to re-remember it over and over again, allowing myself to find the different pieces of it. And although it was really painful in the moment, there was a sense of relief that washed over me and a sense of knowing all of these pieces of my life, all of these things I've experienced and all of the um, things I've really struggled with, all the anxieties, all the paranoias, all the fears, all the everything, all of it came together. It was like like, and it wasn't even forceful or intentional. It just literally, as I was like allowing myself to come to the end of those hours long of feeling the emotions, all of a sudden, all of these puzzle pieces of my life started clicking into place, not only like visually and on a knowing level, but I could feel it in my physical body, just like literally like clicking into place, everything coming together and me understanding myself on this radical level. And that, um, that has just completely shifted the course of my life because I feel like I've faced my biggest fears in a life that has been so ruled by fear, so ruled by repression. I have finally faced my biggest fear and now I don't have that paranoia when I wake up in the middle of the night. And I swear the universe like gives us all these opportunities, right? To like, it's like, oh, oh, you say you're okay. Let me tr try to trigger that for you to see if you're, you're really sure about that, right? And so I had, I've had some nights where like I've heard, I've woken up to like hearing some really weird sounds or in the past I'd be convinced it was somebody in the house. And now I'm like, oh, that's just a sound, you know? And I can get up and I can walk through the house. I can even leave the lights off. I whisper, I love you into the dark. Um, and I know like that might sound so trivial to some people, but that is just life changing to me. It is life changing to me. So since then, you know, I've had ups and downs for sure. And it's been a short period of time since that memory. But since I've been in a safe space and really like excavating my shadows, um, I've just gotten to this place where now I know I've got myself, you know, and I think that's one of the most important um, shifts for me has been knowing that I've got myself no matter what happens. So it doesn't matter what comes up. It doesn't matter if there was another memory that came up. It doesn't matter if something happens now. It doesn't matter if you know, and I've been through a lot of pain even in the last couple of weeks in relationships and friendships and, you know, sort of this clearing out of all of this old stagnant energy. 
um, an old like kind of toxic energy in myself, right? Like the things that I've been doing wrong, like coming up so that I can shift them and change them. And I know that I'm willing to take radical ownership to change everything I need to change in my life and not, I don't place blame or point the finger at anybody. And I know that I can handle anything that comes my way. And I think that's been the biggest shift for me because, right, like, isn't that thriving, right? Like, I don't want thriving to have to rely on my external reality because then something could change outside of my control. And then all of a sudden I'd be thrown into this pit, right, which is how my life was before. But now where thriving is this just internal state of just like, I got myself on such a deep level, no matter what happens, no matter how hard my heart breaks sometimes, you know, no matter how painful it gets, so painful, it's like, I can hold the space for it. I can love the crap out of myself. I have like toolkits in place for all these different things that can happen. And I know that if something else happens, I can create a toolkit for it, right? When I say toolkit, I just mean like, I know what I need, whether it's like time by myself, whether it's music, whether it's candles, whether it's meditation, whether it's to be by myself for like three days, right? Whatever it is, my toolkit is just like knowing where to go and what to get, nourishing food, food that really feels super nourishing when I really need it, all of these things. So that's what thriving is feeling like to me now. And... You know, it's not until you really take a step back and you look at what you've been through in your life, right, that you can really see, wow, like I've come an incredibly long way. Yeah, my life may not look perfect yet, may not ever look perfect, right? Yeah, it might feel like my desires are far off sometimes. Yeah, it may feel like I'm just beginning in some ways. But man, I have come a long way. (laughs) So now that I've really, I've taken a really, really beautiful look at all of my experiences, I've been able to work through them. I've been able to come back to this place of wholeness and integration after experiencing them. And, you know, speaking about them here, it's vulnerable. It's difficult, you know, but I'm not doing it because I feel like I have to, you know, I'm doing it because I really want to. I've chosen to make my life, you know, I have a mentor who says that her life, she wants, she wants her life to be a vision board for other people. Carly Marie, you should check her out. She's awesome. That's how I feel, you know, that's how I've felt for a long time is like, I want to showcase what I've been through. I want to showcase my life's experiences. I want people to know that they can do incredible, amazing things, no matter where they came from, right? Like no matter where you've come from, you can do incredible, amazing things. You can have a life that you love. You can thrive in your life. You know, you can feel just solid in your self-knowing and your self-love. You can feel solid and knowing that you can handle anything that comes your way and just love the crap out of yourself the entire time while you're doing it, right? 
Because why not? Because why the fuck not? <laughs> we are given this gorgeous, beautiful life. And even with the pain that we go through, there are beautiful moments. We have to allow ourselves to be vulnerable enough to want the beautiful moments, to open ourselves up to the beautiful moments. Much of my life I spent in a little box of emotion, too afraid to feel too much a negative emotion, too afraid to feel anger, too afraid to feel sadness, too afraid to feel my fear. And I was also then too afraid to feel joy, too afraid to feel happiness, too afraid to feel gratitude. If I felt gratitude, it would get taken away, right, in my head. All these beliefs that kept me from feeling it. But now that I've gone down to the depths of the hardest painful emotions, most painful emotions that I have ever experienced in my life, I now have opened up this gigantic door of bliss, just ecstatic bliss, ecstatic joy, gratitude, even when like, it's not like my external life has shown like, I'm not like making millions of dollars yet. I'm not a published best-selling author yet. I'm right. Like these things that I desire and I want to work towards, right? Like even though they're not, I'm not there yet. I still just am so in love with myself. I'm so in love with this life. And I think that's the key, right? Through all the interviews I've done so far, through my own journey, it always comes down to self-love, right? It comes down to self-love. Freedom is in self-love, right? Like my dharma, I feel like is freedom, but you need self-love to get there. So that's my story. That's where I came from. That's what I've been through, some of it. Uh, <laughs> and I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're listening. I'm so grateful that you're listening. And I really hope that you stay tuned every week to hear other women's incredible stories. It takes a lot of courage and vulnerability to share these stories from our lives. Um, and you watching and your support just means the world to us. Because we know, even if this just reaches one person that needs to hear this to feel inspired about their life, just one freaking person, then it's, it's worth it to me. It's totally worth it to me. Actually, even if it, even if it meets zero people, <laughs> even if it meets zero people who find inspiration in this, I am proud of myself for doing this, right? I don't need to hang on to that external result. However, I really do desire to make an impact on the world and to inspire so many freaking women to know that it's okay to want more, that it's okay to have desires, that it's okay to want a brilliant, magical, beautiful life. It's totally okay. I love you all so much. Thank you for tuning in, and I will see you again next week. Thank you for joining us at the Courage Rising podcast, where stories change lives. And don't forget to check out our free Facebook community at facebook.com slash groups slash Courage Rising podcast. See you next week, my loves.